How you guys doing today? Nice, got a great, good job, Gabby. Welcome to The Remnant, my name's Todd, I'm the pastor here. Can you guys hear me okay? If you're new here, this is the great battle of my microphone. So every week we're trying to figure it out, and this week they did a good job. Grant's going to be upset because I messed with it right before I came on, literally. He even asked me, how's it feel? And I said it feels good, and then it started bugging me because it was rubbing my, my chin, so I messed with it. So I don't know why I told you all that, but you can hear me, right? Good. Hey, guys, it's a new year. Isn't that crazy? 2021. We never thought 2020 would end, right? Strange year. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a weird time for me. About three weeks ago, confession time. I, I really just use this time for me to feel better, and you guys get to be here. But uh, about three weeks ago, I started getting pretty, pretty uh, I, down is not the right word, because that would imply that I got sad. I more was apathetic. I started... Uh, doing that thing where I sort of, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes you feel like you're trying and you're trying and you're trying and you're trying to do the right thing, right? And people around you sometimes, they either don't appreciate, they don't see it, or they start accusing you of kind of different things. And, and, or you go, why is everyone else mean when I'm trying to be nice, right? You think that. And, and it just got to the point I was like, eh, it's hopeless. The entire world is evil. And, uh, you know, I know you're good, God, and I'm going to keep doing it. Um, but it, it got frustrating, and it sort of led, so in general, the new year is not a party time for me. I am sort of Eeyore. So you know, a lot of people get excited about the new year. If you watch Real Talk, I'm sorry um, to tell you this story again, but uh, most of you don't. So uh, what, what you'll realize, what I've realized about myself over time is everyone's like, yes, new year, new beginnings. And I'm the guy that goes, new year, look at all I didn't accomplish. Uh, I, I'm that guy because I'm always looking for the next thing. And so I'm go, I literally, you know, everyone's excited about their new years and new times, and I'm going, uh, man, I just really did not get any of the things I wanted to get done this year done. So it's New Year, the parties are over, uh, people are back to work after the holiday breaks, right? Or they're going to be. And the excitement of the holiday season and the hope of a new year sort of gets replaced with this realization that after the resolutions, after the lights fade, that we are still who we were before. Right? Interestingly enough... During a Real Talk episode, we kind of looked up, because I was mistaken, I thought the most depressing time of the year was Christmas and New Year's. And it is a time when anxiety and stress are high, but suicide rates, believe it or not, are the highest at the beginning of January. Isn't that interesting? And so I think, for me, that was sort of eye-opening until I started realizing how I felt and and the people around me, because what ends up happening is... You have that excitement and that hope, right? So, for instance, some of you, your New Year's resolution is like, I'm going to go to the gym seven times a week, right? And then the next day you didn't go, and it's 10 o'clock, and you're eating a piece of pie, and your 10th piece, and then you go, well, that's it. I've already failed. You've immediately failed this resolution. And so then you start thinking about all the other areas you fail in. So after the lights fade and the parties end, and we're back, and back to work and back to school and back to life, Nothing's really changed. We still have the same issues. We still have the same battles. And for some of you in this room today, you still have that same emptiness. The hopelessness of being the same, right? Of the situation being the same. It hasn't faded. Many of you are trying, right? You keep calling yourself out. I got to do better i got to try harder. Maybe if I do this, it'll work. And you come up with plans, and that's the whole kind of hope of a New Year's resolution. It's sort of the hope of a new beginning, of a new chance. 
have to try harder, but there doesn't really feel like there's any hope for real change. God knows we've tried, right? He knows you've tried. God knows that you don't keep your resolutions. God knows that we haven't really changed. God knows when we say we're going to change, we already are thinking it's probably not going to happen. When we pray for our marriage to get better, when I pray for happiness, we pray for joy, we pray for money, it's not really going to happen, but I'll pray anyway, God. And we know he knows that. That's the irony, right? God knows that we're hypocrites. God knows you're a hypocrite. That's what you tell yourself, right? God knows that we're failures. And so God has probably given up on us. He's probably given up on you. And it feels hopeless because try as we might, we fall short. The situation doesn't change. The marriage isn't getting better. The bank account isn't magically going up. You keep saving. You keep number crunching. You keep, you know, putting your budget and being tight. But that number doesn't grow. The sadness and the loneliness isn't fading, and for some of you, the addiction still calls, doesn't it? The addiction still comes. You keep lighting that piece of paper with something in it, right, to make you feel better for a short time. We walk and we fall and we try and we fail. And I believe that's what makes people so depressed in the beginning of January. I think Todd's psychoanalysis, right, for myself it's that realization that like, ah, everybody says new year, new beginnings, and the truth is we're all kind of lying to ourselves is what it feels like. It's just a number that changes on a calendar. Until eventually what happens is the whole thing feels like a gray, monotonous walk. We're just the walking dead, right? Zombies that sometimes do because we're expected to, but more often we just accept the fact that we'll never be any more than we are. We'll never achieve any more than we have. We'll never be any different. This is marriage, and you've already signed up for it, and you follow Jesus, so let me sign up for the next 60 years. I'll do my duty, but I won't do it happily. Or maybe the other one, right? You know it's not right. Your wife is miserable, but that's okay. She's doing what you tell her to, so just that's fine, right? She's there when I come home at night. That's all that matters. We're just zombies that do because we're expected to sometimes, but more often than not, we just accept the fact that we'll never be any more than we are and we'll never achieve any more than we have, and it's just the same thing. And so what happens is it's, the, it's just a new year of chasing newness <laughs> until it builds back up and we say, well, it's been a failure of a year, but don't worry, 2022 is coming. New year, new thing. But the number on the calendar doesn't lead to change. Did you know that God doesn't see things the way that you do? That he doesn't see it as you didn't fail? That he doesn't see it, even though it's hard for me to admit to you guys, because I'd rather punish myself. It's not what Todd failed to accomplish this year. He doesn't see that. Well, how do you know that, Todd? I'm going to tell you in a minute. He doesn't. See, God has the benefit of seeing both where we were and where we are, and here's the beautiful thing, where you're going to be. Did you know you're not done yet? I'm serious. Take a second. Right now in your life, you're like, this is it, and you have these plans, and, but the truth is you, you kind of accept the reality that who you are and what you are and the situation in your life is exactly the way it's going to be for the rest of your life. That isn't true. You're not who you're going to be. And to believe that you are is the lie. It's the great lie that keeps us constantly looking for something. God doesn't live in the reality in which, our, in which your failings are who you are. 
I'm going to say that again. It's wordy. God doesn't live in a reality that you are the failings that you have right now. How do I know that? Because he has the benefit of seeing who you're going to be. He's not stuck on the failings that you have now or even what we tend to do, more importantly, what you had, what you've done. God doesn't live in that reality. He doesn't live in a reality in which the sincerity of our trying is measured by the success That because I didn't get up the next day and go to the gym, well, you're a horrible pig man, Todd, right? Whatever it is, right? Whatever you tell yourself, God is a father. We were blessed this week with a couple in our church had a, had a baby. We got babies all over the place here at the Remnant. And I think about whenever someone has a baby in the church, it really always inter- I can't interferes. It always uh, interests me. And always I, every time, I don't even have kids, but it, it makes me think about how God views us. You know, we look at the kids, and, and when, he, when Noah is old enough to walk and he takes that first step, I pro- and then he falls, because he will. I know his dad. Just kidding, right? When he walks and he falls, here's the reality. We're not going to go, oh my goodness. You know you didn't walk for the first year of your life. You are a loser. We're not going to say, oh my goodness, you stumbled and fell. How pathetic. You know what we do? We celebrate the steps. Because we know that the way they walk doesn't define who they are and it isn't who they're going to be. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if you were, you were, you were viewed as an adult, the way you were when you were six months old, hey, I, I see you're applying for a job. Is it true that uh, you had to have your diaper changed at three months? It says here that uh, you peed on your dad. Is that true? Uh, two months old. Uh, sir, I don't remember that. Well, it's here. Can you imagine that? But yet we do it to ourselves all the time. I want to tell you guys something as, as we come to a new year, and I'm speaking to myself. The whole, this whole series is the idea of redefining words. Typically, today's is a little different for the new year. I'll give you a new year thing here. But typically, it's words that we think we know even within the church that I think we've changed the definition of. Last week, we talked about love. Did you know, certainly a lot of you, um, I didn't grow up in the church, and I say that so that you feel home here in case you think all these Christians are weird. They are. Um, I am too. And guess what? I wasn't in it too. But I thought I knew what love was until I understood what the creator of love said it was. And then I recognized it was something way better than I can imagine. And then there's words that we're going to go through like sin. Ooh, that's the big one, right? What is that? Right? And Christian, that's going to be my favorite one. But today I want to talk about this idea, right, call out. We'll get to it. I'll wrap it around. You're going to wonder where the name came from. You'll see. But I want you guys to know that God's offer, this is a fact, because some of you, this may be the only time I ever get to talk to you. You've come in, you've heard me talk, you feel awkward, you'd like to leave now, but you're already kind of trapped, right? And so you're just hoping it gets done quickly. Here's the reality. God's offer for a new day, a new beginning, a new chapter, a new year, a new direction is offered to you every single moment. It's not too late right now in your life to change direction. It's not too late right now in this moment to start walking in a different way, to start walking in a newness, to start walking in I'm not who I was, I'm not even who I am, I'm going to walk like I am who I'm going to be. It's not too late to start a new day and a new year with hope, excitement, victory, and life. I am obsessed with 
life. That's going to sound weird if you're new here. I'm not talking about existing. I'm not talking about you are taking a breath right now. Everybody can do that. Right? Except dead people. But you get my point. I'm talking about living. Life should not be something you dread. Your marriage should not be something you dread. Waking up every day should not be something you dread. Going to church should not be something you dread. Your relationship should not be something you dread. Life should not be something you dread. Now here's the thing. Some of you have gotten really good at surviving. You've got really good at existing. You're really good at painting existing like it's life. And you do it typically in a couple ways. Those in the room right now are like, I don't know what this guy's talking about, huh? For some reason, that's what your accent is. But you, are, you have learned that if I act really, really confident, and I act like I know what I'm doing, and I take charge, and I say everything with confidence, then that makes it true. And people tend to believe you. Eventually, you'll notice that they don't try to tell you anymore, and they don't try to help you because you got it together. But the truth is, when you go to your room at night and lay in bed and everyone's asleep except you looking up at the ceiling, you recognize the same fact. That try as you might, you can't act your way, meaning fake. You can't fake your way into that. There does come a time when you act a way that you don't feel, and that's going to lead to it, but it has to come from a realization of the truth Right of who I'm going to be, not what I say that I am. Who does God say that I am? What does God say about this? Some of you have been in the church so long that you don't know God. Oh. Did you know that? Some of you are too churched. Because you get applauded, right? You do the right things, you get applauded. You go to church every week. You're right, some of you. You go to church every week. I had a guy, I've told you this story many times. He said, Todd, I come to church. I give my offering. What more do you want from me? Oh, I don't know. I want you to follow Jesus. Just a thought. I didn't say that. Not for me, for you. It's not too late, guys, right now to start a new day and a new year with hope, excitement, victory, and life. And we need to forget what the world tells us is possible. Ah, I hate that word, impossible. Nothing would get accomplished. We need to redefine our words. We need to redefine this new year, and we need to hear God calling us out. Here at the Remnant, among the men, we've taken calling out and started to mean, like, just jump on people and they mess up. You ever heard that? I'm going to call him out. I'm going to tell him he's a what? When God calls us out, he doesn't tell us we are what we do. He tells us who we are. It's a very important difference. So I'm going to tell you a story today. I'm going to use the Bible to do it. And it's a lot of, a lot of scripture. I know. I know. I'm stopping you from getting home. Right? And it's hard to listen. You like your little blurbs. I get it. But stay with me. All right? I want to tell a story and we'll connect it. Who knows about the Apostle Peter? Have you ever heard of him? Raise your hand. Or oh, some of you know him as St. Peter. It's so funny we call him that. Because I think if he's here, we'd be like, that dude does not look like a saint. He's a fisherman. You've heard me say this story before. Some of you, some of you may have never heard this, so I'm going to assume that you haven't. We tend to think of fishermen like Popeye, right? He's cleaned up, he's eating his spinach, and he's fishing, right? And it's all great. No, we're talking about, you ever seen, raise your hand if you've seen The Deadliest Catch. You ever seen that show? Those dudes are not Popeye, right? That is hard 
work. That is a bunch of guys. Listen, when you put a bunch of men together and they are only together, ladies, this is why you are such a blessing to us. When you put us away from all things beautiful to where all we look at is each other's ugly mugs for long periods of time and isolate us, we become barbarians. That's what we become, right? Those guys, I can't even, you know, they're on TV, but I can smell them through the TV, right? They don't smell great. I guarantee you they're sweaty. They're tired. They curse. Um, they, 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 it's long days. They're big. Probably they have to be strong. Maybe if they're not big because you're, you're, these are like hand nets, right? Nets you have to pull in by hand. And back then, you know, we have the benefit of giant engine propelled, I don't know what the word is, powered nets that can pull in four million fish. These guys, this is all day. All day. These are tough guys. And then, so you had the fishermen who, by the way, typically if you're a man and you're a fisherman, you kind of failed at other stuff in, in this culture. I'm serious. You're kind of like, you're the guy that, you know, they say, oh, yeah, I dropped out of sixth grade. I'm not mocking that, but that's how the world kind of views it. Oh, you, you, you dropped out of school sixth grade. I had to work, right? That's what I had to do. And so when you're picking someone, to be your pastor, <laughs> don't make a joke here, Andy. When you're picking someone to be your pastor, you don't typically, you wouldn't pick the fisherman. You wouldn't pick him. You don't pick the fisherman to plant the church. You just don't. It doesn't make any human sense. But that's where we're going to pick up the story. So Jesus starts his ministry. He knows what's coming. And he's walking around, and, he, and it's, I love this section. There, there's, there's two accounts of him calling Peter. But one of them, right before, right before he, Jesus, he does his first declaration. He says, repent, the kingdom of God is near. Which to us is like, that's cute. To them, that's like fighting words. What are you talking about? So he says this. He pretty much declares like, hey, I'm about to start talking. You're going to get mad. And he's walking along, and this is what happens. In Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. I'm reading from the HCSB. If you don't know what those letters mean, good. It doesn't matter. Watch it. You can watch on the screen. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. By the way, he, capital H, who is that? Jesus. They were casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them. And I will make you fish for people. I like the translation that says, I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. So Jesus is walking along. He's a teacher. We know this because I'll call him rabbi later. And you just imagine he's watching these. They, I'm, gonna, I'm not saying this is true, but they could have been cursing. We don't know. Son of a. You know, Simon, you stabbed me with the, the hook again, you idiot, right? And that's how I envision it. And he's, you know, cleaning guts off his hands, and he looks over, and Jesus says, you. And he, if he's like me, he'd probably go, me? Follow me. <laughs> well, I'm not good enough to follow a rabbi. If I was, one of them would have picked me already. See, that's what disciples were. You find people that follow you around. You teach them. These were the flunkies. They flunked. And he says, yeah, you, follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. They don't know what that means, but it sounds really cool. And I love this, guys. 
It didn't matter. He didn't, we don't get, right here, we don't get any words. We don't know. We don't hear that he said, well, I'm just a fisherman. Hey, did you just hear me cussing? Hey, I flunked out. All it says is immediately they left their nets and followed him. Left what? I don't mean to get super symbolic here, but left their nets, their identity, who they are, to follow him. So they begin to go, and Peter, he ends up telling Simon, he says, you will be called Peter. We're like, why would he tell him that's a corny name, right, Peter Griffin? No, that's not it. He says, you will be called Peter. In, that, in the language it is, you will be called the rock, and you will be on which I build this church. Can you imagine that? He gave him a new name. He, because, and I've said this before, but you got to hear it. I don't care if I'm going to remind you, but I'll probably remind you again later in the year. He saw Simon, right? When he looked at Simon, he saw Peter. He wasn't Peter yet. I promise you, this guy was not a rock yet. He was not solid. How do I know that? I'm about to tell you. So they follow him along, and he kind of becomes, we kind of get the feeling Peter's one of the leaders of these apostles, these guys that follow him, and he definitely is the big mouth. He's always the one talking, always the one asking questions, always the one challenging, always uh, being a bit of a hothead. We'll see, but here we go. The first time it is, Jesus is telling them, about to tell them what he's going to do. He starts giving them more and more. So in Matthew, the same book, in chapter 16, verses 21 to 23, this is what it says. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. Now listen, Jesus has already doing, started doing miracles. To these people, to his own apostles, the Messiah was supposed to come in power, overthrow the government, and reinstitute a new kingdom, a new earthly kingdom, right, militarily, and get rid of these Romans and reestablish Israel. That's the plan. And I've seen him do miracles. This is about to go down. This is the greatest day of our lives. And we get to follow him. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, hey, uh, by the way, I'm going to die. And so this is what I want you to understand before you go, man, Peter's an idiot. No, all his hopes had been pinned on this man. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Or like it sounds like fancy words, yell at him. Criticize him, tell him no. Oh no, Lord, are you kidding me? This will never happen to you. But he turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns but man's. Boom, that's a big failure to be called Satan. He dropped the ball right here. He dropped the ball right here. But guess what? He still lets Peter follow him. Peter follows him and he sees amazing things. And we go down until finally that moment comes in the garden when he asked Peter. I didn't even tell you about this part. And he says, Peter, you're one of my buddies. I am really struggling. Would you please stay up and pray? I'm feeling really sad. I'm going to go pray and come back. You guys just keep praying. I go. He comes back. They're asleep. Failed him again. Then they show up. The soldiers to take Jesus. And it says here in the Gospel of John chapter 18 verses 10 and 11. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. At that, Jesus said to Peter, sheathe your sword. Am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? Jesus has already told them things like this. Hey, you've heard it said to love your friends, but even an evil man will love his friends. I tell you to love your enemies. If your enemy hits you, turn and offer the other cheek, these kinds of things. And Peter immediately pulls a sword and chops the guy's ear off. And once again, is trying to tell Jesus, you're not going to do what God has told you to do. He's failed again. He is opposing Jesus. Do you understand that? At this point, Peter is opposing Christ. 
How do we know that? What if he listened to Peter? You know what? You're right. We're in trouble. But he didn't. And so he's betrayed and he's dragged away. Peter's already failed. He's a failure, right? Before you go, no, he's not. Yes, you would think that. Some of you guys don't give each other grace when you don't show up to your New Year's Eve party. Your buddy doesn't show up. Oh, he always, he never shows up to anything. I'm not inviting him again. I know some of you. I'm not going to that church again. He got loud. That's happened. Why are you so mean? What are you talking about? I'm a weird guy. If you ever hear me really, really quiet, that's when I'm mad. I'm just a big mouth. So they take him away, and Peter falls behind. And I'm going to pick up on uh, Luke chapter 22, verses 54 through 60. Stay with me. I know it's a lot. They seized him, Jesus, led him away, and brought him into the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance. A tough guy, right? They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, and Peter sat among them. When a servant saw him sitting in the firelight and looked closely at him, she said, this man was with him too. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. After a little while, someone else saw him and said, you're one of them too. Man, I am not, Peter said. About an hour later, another kept insisting, this man was certainly with him since he's also a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Well, that part may seem confusing. He said, Jesus had told him a long time ago. He said, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. And verse 62 actually, 61 says, Then the Lord turned, it's not going to be up there, and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you deny me three times. Ready? And verse 62 tells us something very important. It's not going to be up there. Just listen. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Do you think Peter felt like a failure? Do you think Peter thought it was over? This is one of those times where you know the story, right? You know the Peter story. You know where this is going. So you're not listening anymore. And that's why you go home and you're depressed tonight and angry because you don't listen. You hear, but you don't listen. And so that's where the story can end, right there. New year came, right? That's it. That's it. All the hope's gone. John chapter 21, verses 15 and 17. Jesus raises from the dead. He shows up to Peter. They don't know it, and he says to him, he's excited. And we get the idea that Peter's kind of hiding. Everyone's celebrating. Peter's sort of staying quiet, wouldn't you? Waiting for the time he's going to bring it up, walking on eggshells. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to them, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told them. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told them. And he asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time. Why do you think he is? Stop. You know the feeling. Put yourself there. You're thinking that what? He's shaming me. Jesus is shaming me here. He's trying to guilt me and beat me up. See, sometimes your guys' problems, sometimes you think if someone's pointing out or reminding you of something you did in the past that they're trying to tear you down, what if they're trying to build you up? You never really build up if you can't face, right, the situation that you're in. Do you love me? He asked him the third time. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. The beauty of this, as we know, is Peter denied him three times, and Christ restored him three times. Let him take back the words he said. Why? Because the new 
the newness never ends. And I'm going to give you a verse that's not connected before we tie all this together that's so important. Hey, Christianese people in here, take him off. And some of you that didn't grow up in church and never heard anything, listen to this because you've been told a lie probably. The reason you don't like this is because you've been told that you have to be good enough for him and you know you're not. And so it's a constant failure and it's a constant reminder that God is just the mirror by which you feel like crap about yourself because you're never really going to be good enough. And so you kind of view it as you're the only real person, right? Because at least you're honest about your mistakes and your flaws and your faults. The rest of them are fake. You're right, some of them are fake, but they're fake because they're not telling you the truth. This is so beautiful. Romans chapter 11, verse 29. If you take nothing else, take this. I know, I'm boring. Listen, since God's gracious gifts and calling are irrevocable. You know what that means? What does irrevocable mean? See if you're paying attention. What does irrevocable mean? You guys talk all the time. You just want when I ask. What? Can't go back on it. Can't be taken back. Where are all you people that talk when I don't want you to? <laughs> right? You say, you know, yeah, that's like in class, right? Please don't call on me for this equation. But you're passing notes. Anyway, here we go. Since God's gracious gifts and calling are irrevocable. Guys, I... I am heartbroken at what some of you have accepted as life. You have accepted as life. Eh. You say you're hopeful, you're not. You're just treading water. And the truth is, your, your head's sinking a little bit at a time. It's a lot of effort to go nowhere. I see people around me that know the truth. And it's all, they always think that I'm trying to imply they don't know Jesus. Of course I believe you know Jesus. Peter knew Jesus. But there's a realization that you don't really get it. Because you're too caught up in what you feel every moment. And then you rage, right? You're the person in the courtyard saying, I don't know him. Except you change the wording. I'm already doing that. How dare you? You're living this half life. Because when you hear and feel God calling you out, you think it's just to shame you. When God is trying to call you out to remind you of who you really are. He's not calling you out to shame you. He's not saying your name to remind you of everything you've done wrong and everything you're doing wrong. Do you hear me? That he's calling you out to say, I love you. That everything you've done, I already knew when I picked you. And everything you are, I already knew when I picked you. Because I know who you're going to be because I'm the one that made you. And we're so afraid of that not being true. That we make up our own version of things. And it's not as good as the real thing. See, we make out a version where nobody ever calls us out. We make out a version where God's love for us just means that he just kind of ignores us. Silence is acceptance, right? If he doesn't say anything to me, it's good. But it's not good, and you're not happy. And you sit in your addictions, and you sit in your misery, and you sit believing verses that say the fruit of the Lord is peace, love, Joy, and you think it's just words. You think it's about your effort because you haven't accepted the fact that it's reality. 
I'll say it, I've said it before, I've said it many times, because the simple apple tree has taught me so much. That just because an apple tree isn't in season doesn't mean it's not going to grow apples ever again. And just because you're in a season when life is cold and hard and dark and there's no water doesn't mean that you're not going to be fruitful again. It doesn't mean that the joy's not coming tomorrow. Why do you think he says those things? Right? His mercies are new every day. Is that a suggestion or is that reality? Some of you live in anxiety. Some of you live in fear. Some of you live in, in this, it's this. You've created this strange thing where you, you show up to feel good on a Sunday, but on a Monday you're right back to where you were and you think that that's Jesus? That he, le- lives you, he leaves you there in that? Do you think that? The God of the Bible is still your God. Does he leave people there? So if you're staying there, whatever there is for you, in the hopelessness, in the brokenness, in the, the misery, in the sadness, in the grayness, in the death, and all of these things, is it because Jesus is leaving you there? Or because you're afraid of him calling you out? Because just like Peter, it feels like the message is always the same, right? You already messed up. I'm not mad at you. Todd, why are you so angry? I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at a world that we live in and a faith that we've created that has so far sometimes from the Bible that we have empty, gray, fruitless, miserable Christians who believe that is what it is to be a Christian. And then we expect people to want to be an apple tree? It's a tough year, hasn't it? Some of you in this room had COVID this year. (gasps) Right? You had the big thing that the world told you was going to end it all. And here you are today. Right? Life is hard. (laughs) This has got to mean more. I need you to hear this, and before you roll your eyes, stay with me. I'm not Jesus. I can't give you life. You're not Jesus either. That pastor that you share that gives you the happy words all the time on Facebook, you know, the famous guys, they're not Jesus either. And that joint you smoke or you did last night or you did before you walked in or you're going to tomorrow, that's not Jesus either. You know how I know? Because you got to go back and get another one. Your God is very, very impotent. It's either real or it isn't. I got a list for you. I'll wrap it up. Are you with me still? Yeah, thank you. See? See, senor. You know what I've learned? I'm the guy that I... I'll come to that at the end. I better not. All right. (laughs) Remembering the truth of the call. It's hard coming up with names to these lists. I should just call them list number four. Remembering the, the truth of the call. Guys, what do I want to say to you here? I want, you, I want to tell you how. See, you jumped ahead, guys. You got to stay with me. You got to stay with me. See? Look at him put his head down in shame. Don't be ashamed. All right? It was Zach. Anyway, remembering the truth of the call. Listen, listen. Guys, the point of my message today is this, is that you can have a new beginning today. Now, here's the reality of it. I don't know what's going to happen. I can't promise you that if you decide this today that your marriage will be better tomorrow. I can't. 
But here's what I can promise you. I can promise you this. God keeps his promises. And that he will not. And this is a thing that like sometimes, you know you have the, people, the preachers out there that tell you you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and rich, right? If you follow Jesus. And we know that's not always true. But then sometimes you got the preachers that tell you, listen, life is just about you being miserable until you die. And tell people Jesus loves them. I don't believe that either, right? I believe that God has come to give us eternal life, but also that the kingdom of God has come now, right? And that you are living in it, and that you are new, and that he is changing you, empowering you, and performing miraculous things in your life, both for his glory, but also because what? He loves you. The Bible says, I will work out all things for the good of those who believe, right? He will work out all things for the good of those who believe according to his purposes, Now, I like to say it this way. I'm going to work it out for you. I'm going to work it out for you, Tim, but but it's going to be my way. But here's the promise. My way is better than yours. Some of you need to hear this. Number one, I just told you, God doesn't take back his promises. How do I know that? I just gave you a verse. Are you listening? Since God's gracious gifts and calling are irrevocable. Well, Todd, I was told I could lose my... You never earned It's a gift. That's why I love this. Gracious gifts and calling irrevocable. What about Bobby who ran away from Jesus and, you know, worships a rock now? Well, Bobby probably never really met Jesus. Okay? Judas and Peter both followed Jesus, but they didn't end up at the same place. Because one accepted him as Lord and Savior, and the other just thought, oh, this is a good teacher that lets me do cool stuff. You have to live in the reality that God does not take back his promises. He never has from the beginning of the Bible to the end. He told a man named Abram, I will make you the father to many nations. Right? I will make you, right? your, your descendants will outnumber the sands of the desert essentially. Right? This is an old man who had no kids. And he kept his promise. He told the Israelites, listen, I will never, through him, I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. Have you ever heard of Israel today? It exists. You ever looked at it on a map? You ever heard about the fact that they have some enemies? It makes no sense. It's about this big. How are they there? You want to hear the truth? It's a miracle. And here's the thing. They haven't even returned to God. They haven't haven't accepted the Messiah, and God still keeps his promises. There are promises in the Bible that you've been told not to believe in because just in case. Like, God needs your excuses. Well, listen, God helps those who help themselves, not in the Bible. God will come through. Number two, I like this one. It's simple. It's very simple. God doesn't do and doesn't live in impossibles. A lot of times your situation seems impossible. That's why we give up hope of a new beginning. I've messed up 25 times. I keep telling myself I'm going to the gym. This is my 10th pie, right? We just talked about it. It's impossible I'm ever going to do this. I hear this all the time. I'm not going to be able to do it, Todd. I keep messing up. It's impossible. He doesn't live in impossibles. How do I know? You ready? You're going to think this is crazy. Did you know that he spoke through a burning bush? Did you know he split a sea? No, he didn't. How do you know? How do you know George Washington lived? A book told you. This is God, right? It happened. The Red Sea split, and people walked through it. Jesus made the blind see and the lame walk. A dead man rose from the dead. That's, that's apparently believable for you. Like, yeah, completely. Right? Accept it. He doesn't live in the impossibles. 
Do you think your little impossible trumps a man rising from the dead? It doesn't. But what about COVID? Man rising from the dead, right? Do you hear me? What about my failing marriage? Blind guy seen, right? What about my addiction? It's not possible. A guy named, you ever heard of a guy named Paul? His name was Saul. He killed people. He killed Christians. And now he's what? St. Paul. The story's not over. Why do you live like it is? God doesn't do impossible. Number three, I like this one because it's, man, I just keep getting ahead of myself here because they're all attached. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You guys are like, amen. You know it, but you don't live it. What I mean by that is, do you, I want you to think right now in the room, somebody, okay? If you're a Christian in the room, this is to you. I want you to ponder. I want you to remember the moment. Usually it's one of a couple moments. The moment that you were saved and you know it because it, you can't explain it to people, can you? You ever tried to explain that to people that don't know Jesus? They think it's just some made up, they think you're dumb. And you're trying to, you really want to explain to them like you don't even know. You ain't got that Holy Spirit, right? Because when you do it, it feels different. Either that moment or a moment when you saw God move in a way that was impossible in your life. You ready? Remember how you thought he could do anything and life was filled with hope and you, and all of these amazing, beautiful things. You ready? He's the same God. You think he stopped being God now because you think that God that changed your life stopped changing your life? No. He's the same, the God of Abraham. Why do you think he said that to them? I am the God of Abraham, I'm Isaac, and Jacob. Why do you say that? You know? Well, Tani was a Jewish configuration because he was trying to attach it to their genealogy. That's true. Okay? That's your nerd voice. But also, guess what he was doing? He was reminding them of the miracles. I am that God talking to you today. And there's hope in that. You know, sometimes when I get too lost, I look back to the night in a room like this where a guy, I don't even know his name, told me about a guy named Jesus. They tricked me. I went in the back. They prayed, and they gave me a New Testament, and my life was changed. I can tell you immediately. I, could, I, could, I, can, I can still feel it. Todd, how do you feel? All I could tell them, I didn't was raised in church. I didn't know Christianese. I just said I feel lighter. Yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about, and yet you still live underweight. And then some of you don't ever feel anything, and you just play this social game, and that's because you've never really met him. And that's because you're not willing to accept. We'll get to that. Number four, don't dwell on the momentary. It's really easy to think that your present circumstances are the forever reality. My marriage has been this way for 10 years. My marriage has been this way for five years. I've been stuck in this addiction for six months. I have continually, um, you know, I've been drunk every single night, and now I, there's no way I can not be. Uh, on and on and on. My family's broken. It's beyond repair. You're allowing a momentary situation, no matter how big, to dictate the future. We dwell on that. I'm a guy that does that. I have a tendency when bad things happen, I'll fo- it's weird. In the moment, I don't really focus on it. Maybe this is you. So you're kind of like, oh, I didn't dwell on it. And then it becomes the past, and then I dwell on it. Right? I, I do enough to get through the day, and then I'm like focused on that forever. But that's even worse some ways, right? It's still, now I'm living, I'm allowing something from the past that already passed, and I'm l- dwelling on it and living in it. Some of you have had terrible things happen to you, and you've allowed that to to essentially uh, give you a name. You've allowed these terrible things to identify you. They've become who you are. 
And every decision you've made in life has been out of that. What if, yeah, number five. This one's, I want to give you something tangible. Believe and walk. This is to the Christians in the room. Sometimes it boils down to, Chris, duty. He knows what I'm talking about, right? Sometimes it boils down to choosing to do it and believe it and walk when everything inside you says it's not real. When everyone around you says it's impossible, sometimes it's walking. Sometimes it's just saying I believe and walking. I've said it before, the same Peter that we're talking about also walked on water for a while. And when Jesus told him to come out, if he would have been like me, I would have said, well, are you going to make me fly? Like, am I going to breathe in the water? Like, what's happening here? What, what do you mean? Do you mean like I should symbolically walk out? Right? That's me. Peter just stepped because he believed Jesus and trusted him that much. Sometimes, guys, I promise you this, and I see it throughout the Bible, and before you think that's cruel, is it cruel when you tell your son, I've watched you, that little baby, and you stand him up and you say, come to daddy, because you're trying to teach him how to walk. Is that cruel? No, you're trying to show him what he's capable of. And that what? You're always going to be there. God's the same way. God is constantly, throughout the Bible, calling people out. What's he calling them out of? I don't know, Slavery? calling them out of disease, calling them out of bondage, calling them out of chains, calling them out of sin, and calling them out of death. Without him, we are dead. Well, I feel pretty alive right now. Mm -hmm. So does a fly right before I swat it. <laughs> right? She's going to come play some music. And I want to take this time. We call this time altar. Right? What does that mean? What's the altar? Well, the altar is where you, you go to worship. The Bible tells us that God is here right now. How do I know that? Jesus said it. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. He's here today. It's weird, mysterious, supernatural. I know. Isn't that crazy? It is. I've talked to a lot of people that I'm friends with, um, some of you in this room, and I've told you how frustrated I am. Sometimes I struggle with how real to be because I feel like they're, you're going to think I'm tricking you because I'm very uh, suspicious of people, of con artists. Does that shock you? That's probably why it makes me mad when somebody goes, that's a con artist. I'm not a very good one if that's the case because I tell you, right? I would tell you, hey, I know you're going to think that. So I hesitate to say things, but today up in my office, I, I was crying before service, and I, I, don't, I don't like to cry. I don't like, it's weird. When I want to cry, man, you might, when I want to cry, I can't. <laughs> and I'm like, I want to cry. And like sometimes it might make people like me more because like you see the people sobbing, they get hugged, you know, because I can't cry, everyone just thinks I'm angry. <laughs> so I want, I can't. And then there's times where I'm not expecting it and God softens my heart to the point that I just cry tears. And so I said, why are you crying? And I said, and I, I, I don't mean to be dramatic, but it's true. Because for a second I felt there's so many of you in this room that are hurting. You are so hurt and you are so hard and you are so hopeless. And you come every week. You do because of duty. And that's beautiful. But I long to see you go from duty to life. To go from duty to where you, this becomes something real. I have to remind you of that all the time because God reminds me all the time. And he reminds us in scripture because we have a tendency to live what? On the momentary. 
Sometimes I, for just a second, for two minutes, can you consider what you're saying you believe? If you're a Christian, that Jesus Christ is exactly who he said he was, that he did everything it says he did, and that he is alive right now, and that he has said, this is the most beautiful promise in the world, I will not leave you as orphans. What's your thing? What's your new year thing that you've given up hope on? I'm so lonely. I'm, I, this is just life. You ever notice, you know, some people looking for relationships out there, the, the Christian tendencies to tell you, maybe you're called to singleness, but that doesn't hurt your brokenness, does it? Your desire to have more, to have that relationship. And the funny thing is, I think that's silly. I think it's silly that people tell you that. I don't know if you are. I have a tendency to think that even though you might get sad sometimes, that being called to singleness, there's a, there'd be an acceptance. So if, if, if it took you a year, two years, three years, four years, five years, if it took you 10 years to find the person you'd be with, with for the next 60, would it be worth it? You think because the tree's not in season, it's not growing apples. You think because God's not splitting the Red Sea right now that he's not performing miracles. Boy, it's a good thing you weren't with the Israelites wandering in the desert, huh? 40 years. This is the simple facts that I know. I have to. I have to tell myself this all the time. What do I believe? I do not believe that God saved me just to be miserable. I don't believe that. I don't see that. Yeah, there's suffering. Yeah, there's pain and there's heartache. But the promise is that despite that, we can be joyful and have peace and have patience. It's funny that that's one of the fruits of the Spirit because he knows you're going to need it. It's a new year. They're still telling us the same things though, right? Hey, COVID's not gone yet. Hey, election's not final. Hey, you don't know what's going to happen here. Right? We don't. We, we don't, by the way. Got to be scared. Got to let one of the CNN, NBC, FOX, they got to be able to tell you what's going to happen. You got to tune in at 6 o'clock tonight. You really want to have peace? Let me tell you. You ever notice they don't really make you feel better? I don't know. I do know this. At New Year, God's calling you out with the same call he's always had. Today, Peter did all of those things, and he still was given a new chance. I don't know where you're at, what you're dealing with, what you're wrestling with, the hurt you're going through, but here's today's your chance. Right now, right at this moment is your chance to walk in a new direction. Does that mean the circumstances are going to change? No. Right? If I want to walk to Warsaw, okay, I can go out here. I'm not going to be in Warsaw immediately. I have to might take a little bit, but eventually I'm going to get there. But I got to start by announcing and walking in the direction that I want to go. Are you willing to do that today? You say you are, but some of you aren't willing to walk 15 feet to the altar when you know God's calling you to pray. When you know God's calling you to go up and get prayer for something else, because what if someone thinks something about you? What if they think I'm bad? Don't worry, I already know you are. But so am I. Jesus loves you anyway.
And some of you in this room right now, you just can't wait till I'm done talking. I get it, me too. But you need to hear this. I don't know why you're here. And I may never talk to you again, but I promise you this, whether you like it or not, God, God is the reason you're here. Today is a divine appointment. And it was for this moment for you. I believe that. And what's the moment? The moment is that your entire life has been lived trying to find something to give you life, and it's not working. It's not working. And so I'm going to tell you the gospel because I know you don't like Christians because some of you don't. I didn't. Boy, I didn't either. I still don't sometimes. I don't like myself. But here's what I can tell you this is the truth. I'm going to tell you the truth. Well, I don't like the truth. That's okay. It's still the truth. God created everything. He made it perfect. That includes us. And he said, you can have all of this. And here's your one rule. Well, I thought God had 100 rules. Now he had one. He said, let me be the one who tells you what wrong and right is. That's what the garden is. That's what the tree is. I will be the one to determine what right and wrong is. I will lead you in good and evil. And we said, no, I want to determine what good and evil is. And now what do we have? A bunch of people that are arguing over about what's good and evil. And because of that, a holy good God says, you want your way, you want to be separate from me, I will give you that. And so sin entered the world. Sin is both all the bad things you do, and it's that nature inside of you. It's the brokenness, it's the pain, it's the emptiness, it's the loneliness, it's the anger, it's the lies, it's the lust, it's all of the things that you hate about yourself. It's war, it's death, it's murder, it's rape, it's all of these evil things. Because that's what happens. It's like fish out of water. It's going to die. Away from God, we become something grotesque. And so God, because of that, we were guilty. And he said, there will come a day when you will pay the price. And no amount of believing in some other God and no amount of of believing in some other thing is going to save you when the time comes when you are faced with the reality. What is that reality? That you don't make Reality that you don't determine what's real and what's not, that your truth isn't the truth. That's pretty scary. The Bible says that you're storing up wrath for yourselves. That means that he's mad. He's mad at the sin, that we've made ourselves his enemy, not because he wants to be our enemy, because we made it that way. Well, I don't believe that. Okay, so what? What you believe isn't reality. You're proving my point. You want to be God, and you suck at it. So that's where we're at. That's a sad story, except Jesus, but Jesus. God had a plan. He came down in the form of man. Jesus Christ existed. Um, I'm not sure if he did. Yes, he did. No true historian would tell you that. Jesus existed. So who was he? Liar, lunatic, or the son of God? If he's the son of God, then this part is true. He told us how to live. He told you that you don't have to live in shame and misery and hope and death, that you can have new life. He told you how to live, and he did, then he did something incredible. On the cross, he died for your sins and mine. He did. And he was raised on the third day. He overcame death. And he gives you an offer that you cannot believe. That he will take all of the millions of sins that you've committed and all the evil in your heart and he will take that on himself and give you the benefit of his perfect holiness. Why? So that you and God can be together again and you can be promised this, that for the rest of your life here and the rest of eternity, you will live forever. That's, that sounds too good to be true. It, it, it is. 
So how do I do that, Todd? This sounds great. I feel something. That voice you're feeling, beyond the anger and the stuff that's telling you, I don't like what this guy's saying, that thing you keep ignoring every week, that's the Holy Spirit. It's real. Well, how do I do it? Does that mean I have to fix everything right now? Or do I have to give up all my friends and all these things? No, let's not even worry about that. Are you willing to give up being God? The Bible makes it very clear, and this is what I told you earlier. You don't have to clean yourself up. He'll do that. You have to be willing to be clean. The Bible says if you confess with your lips, that means say it and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead, you'll be saved. That's it. So what does that mean? It just means I believe you, Jesus. I don't get the rest of this yet, but I believe you. And in that moment, you have new life, a new day. And I promise you this. It's real because it changed my life. I was talking to a buddy of mine several months ago. I told many of you this at the church. Members here, and, and he, <laughs> I was reaching out to him to donate to our field. We're gonna have a sports field, it's cool. He's a rich guy. If he's watching, he, thanks, buddy. Anyway, and he said to me, Todd, he goes, I can't, I go, I love you, man, but like, honestly, he's actually, that's not true. I tried to soften it. He made it really crappy at first. He goes, Yeah, man, I would have never believed you'd be a pastor. No offense. It's the truth. He said that. You know why? And why am I telling you that? Because this is a miracle that I'm here. And, I, and it's real. And you would, I, wouldn't, I told him I didn't believe it either. That was my exact words. Me either, man. So wherever you're at today, whatever you do, let's, let's make this a true new year. We all have something. Let's, let's ask God to move in our lives, to call us out, to remind us, and let's walk. Quit waiting for tomorrow. See, some of you say, you know, next week I'll do this Jesus thing. Why not do it today? Why not let today be the beginning of a new year and a new life? Whatever you do, do not leave here the same as you came in today. Take this time and make it count because if you leave the same as you came in, you're choosing to.